0: We still haven't even gotten to the Nazis yet. Man, Man we're on a roll tonight.
1: Hour and twenty-ish minutes in since we started recording. Do you have a timer on the recording? No, no, I'm just looking at the basic time. You're just looking okay. I was gonna it. say I
0: didn't know if you had a, had it on your side because you because you're doing a lot of the recordings now. Let's
1: see if I hit this. so
0: I thought it would be interesting. Man. I kinda wanna talk though the about the Maui wildfires, but I don't know but I don't know if I'm I, I don't know if I'm I'm well informed enough. To have a justified opinion on it. I, I have the basics that everybody else has. Because, I, I mean, we're talking about leadership tonight, right? And we're talking about, it sounds like, stupid leadership tonight. Oh, sorry. Before I get on this, this on the table. There was another C.S. Lewis reference in there that I almost forgot. C.S. Lewis, Tyrants versus Moral Busybodies. But then your Russian propaganda lady. Another shameless plug. If anybody listening to this podcast has not read or at least like book on taped, the screw Tape Letters, do it. I mean, it's one of those, I don't know if it's like, say, one of his lesser known works. I mean, everyone knows him for the Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, Mere Christianity. And, and I think The Great Divorce might even be pseudo more popular. But what the Screw Tape Letters is, the whole book, each chapter is a letter from Uncle Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood. And the context for this is that they're demons in hell and wormwood is what he calls a junior tempter you know like entry level and screw tape is in some sort of probably like i mean i guess you would call it like middle management kind of level like some influence kind of knows the game isn't like necessarily an executive kind of deal and each letter is obviously a response to at least partially a response to a letter back from wormwood so they're like writing to each other but you kind of only see the one side and it's more or less Uncle Screwtape giving advice to Wormwood about his soul that he's trying to convert to bring to hell. And one of the the things that was said, the moment I heard it, it always resonated with me. In so many words, don't let him, your soul who you're trying to convert and bring to hell, don't let him think too much. Let him absorb the tragedy. But then try to steer his mind to something else try to steer his mind to you know the game next week or you know the the person he's interested in or or other some other issue at work because if you let the human quietly think through whatever issues or problems they have they will eventually arrive at the morally correct decision and that was fascinating to me because We have so many distractions in in the world nowadays, especially from said internet and social media, that it's real easy to see something and laugh at it or go, ooh, that sucks, thoughts and prayers, and then move on. But if you really absorb what's happening, you can realize the good and the bad involved in it. And if you start accepting that for what it really is, you'll start changing your behavior and changing your moral compass. And for your Russian lady... If you really sit down and think about it, you'll you'll understand what's going on. And it's just if you start getting a populace that's starting to realize that they have to accept what's really happening, that's where you have things like Bastille Day and the American Revolution and, and all that stuff. So that was my other C.S. Lewis in reference. Tom, anything to add before we go to Maui wildfires?
1: Yeah, I'll actually um, I've got some Audible credits that uh, I need to put to use here anyway, so yeah. I will download that on Audible and get it's you. it.
0: It's fantastic.
1: It's it's right up my alley.
0: It's it's real good. And I think there was an interview too, or like in the epilogue maybe, where C.S. Lewis talks about how it was one of the most difficult books that he ever wrote. He's definitely like a goody two shoes in his own weird way, but he said that a couple of times he felt like he was thinking so evilly that it bothered him when he was when he was doing that book nothing in the book is like grotesquely evil i guess you could say he's not talking about like you know raping and murdering and all that stuff but he's talking about the subtle little i mean there's one point in the book where you know oh yeah so you're so your your target your soul started going to church again yes that's a little bit disconcerting but if played right, this can be a good thing because right now he's all about the high of new community and I'm coming back to God and all that stuff. But eventually that glow, that glitter will wear off. And then you start steering him towards, oh, these other Christians are actually crappy people and they don't know what they're doing and and they have their own faults. And you start showing how these people are also bad too, and they're acting like they're good. And so it was like, Basically, how can you always corrupt somebody was the entire point of the book. So he said he actually had trouble writing it at times. It's fantastic. I love it. If you're into that sort of stuff. but
1: it's It it sounds right up my alley. Philosophy and political science made up most of my electives mm -hmm. in college. If I had room for something, it was pretty much one of those courses. I didn't have a lot of room for them. I double majored and got two bachelors and there wasn't a lot of room for electives. But when I did, it was usually one of those. Now, my, my chief argument there is the, the premise that if you give a person long enough to think about a thing and be in a situation and really be with their thoughts, that they'll eventually come to sort of the the morally acceptable side of things. But I've, they won't always do it though. Right. They'll and, well, they'll but then they'll know. But least, my argument there is you know. that morality is so subjective. You know, there there really is not a simple good and bad. There's really not. I've spent a lot of time, you know, you would think it was law enforcement that would probably steer me to that conclusion because I spent about four years as a cop, but it was actually my time in public education that really made me realize that morality is not that simple and that it is subjective. I had a kid who uh, very simply did the wrong thing in class frequently.
0: Are you talking about morality or ethics? I'm sorry Um, to get really super nerdy discrepancy on you. I'm talking
1: about a person's understanding of what is right versus what is wrong. So I think I'm talking about morality. I feel like well, ethics what is you what said you is morality. Yeah, I feel yeah. like ethics is the decision you take based on your understanding. Ethics
0: general. is what you should do in a situation. Morality is just what the situation is.
1: Right. So I'm yeah. thinking more on, on morality, more on your understanding okay. of what is right and wrong. Um, I, I had a young child who was constantly doing the wrong thing, stealing from classmates, not doing the right thing in class, breaking things, skipping class, doing – his his he was doing the wrong thing. And it got to a point where I wanted to find out why. He didn't understand these actions were not going to serve him well. You would think that eventually with the punishments and people scolding you and telling you this is wrong, that eventually you'd go, these choices are not serving me well, I'm going to choose something else. He never did and sat down and talked to him and called his mom in and talked to his mom. His mom was a fantastic woman who wanted her son to, to do well in life. She was the only adult influence in his life. And we talked quite a bit. And at the end of the day, he didn't understand why it was wrong if someone else left lunch money in their bag where he could see it or he knew where it was. He didn't understand why it was wrong for him to take it because he was hungrier than that student. And that student clearly didn't care about that money enough to protect it. So they probably didn't need it. And therefore it wasn't wrong when he took it from someone's bag. And and I thought this was just clever wordplay to evade you know, guilt and evade trouble. No, he was
0: a utilitarian.
1: He, he Yeah, he really believed. That's him. all he was.
0: He had a moral system. It was just different from ours.
1: And that's how it is. And the more I started talking to him about that, the more I started talking to other students that weren't prioritizing schoolwork or being in school. I had one student who was a very good athlete who could not play on the basketball team that I was coaching. Um And I couldn't figure out why I was like, we'll find transportation home for you. Like we'll make this work. But it turns out that his mom was a single mom who was working a couple of jobs, and he lived in a bad part of town. And if he didn't get home by a certain time in the day, he had to deal with kids that got released from older schools and older kids who were out and about that were gang affiliated. And he had to worry about them shaking him down, harming him, harming his brother. It was a legitimate concern for him that if he wasn't home by a very certain time, there were dangers and threats that they were going to affect him. And that changed... Not just his understanding of right and wrong, but a lot of other things. There are other factors like that 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 change how you look at the world. He didn't look at that as a right and wrong thing. He didn't look at the violence going around him as something that was wrong. That was simply what they had to survive. That was how these other kids and these other people survived. It was what he probably had to look forward to. And He told me, one day I'm going to be one of those kids. I get it. And when I am... I'm going to know the kids are trying to get home before I'm on the streets. And that's how I'm going to trick them. Like he knew that this was happening, but in his mind, that was how they survived. There was no real path to a good education and a good job that allows him to escape sort of the the street tough life that he sees all around him in this part of town. And he had already given into it because that's what he had been taught and that these things were not wrong. This was not a wrong action to take. This was Acceptable, and this was okay because it is how you survive, and that's just a belief he had. So but
0: the internet, Tom, <laughs>
1: but the internet, <laughs> yes, but the internet.
0: Sorry, finish up. I just um, I, it was it was a good. It was no, a good, no. So I just I think plug.
1: morality is a subjective thing. If if I'm you know stealing is wrong, I get that. But if I'm starving and my kids are starving and my wife is starving, not only are my ethics going to change, I'm going to be willing to do something I think is wrong. But eventually. I might take the point of view of of that young student that I had, um, yeah. and I might be like, you know what, this isn't wrong. That's excess on this guy's part. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. And my family does need it, so it's not wrong. And, and I might take that, and, and it might feel like a less wrong decision. That's that morality is flexible. And I think if you're approaching it from a Christian point of view, it's not you know, the, the Christianity within its within its structure has very clear cut right and wrong. Like, this is right, this is wrong. For the most part, it's very clearly defined, and it's very simple. But Christianity is not the oldest belief structure we have on this planet. It's no longer, I don't think, the most common. Um, I believe it's now outnumbered by other religions, if you look strictly. By Islam Islam or whatever. So I I think morality is one of those things that when you say people will eventually find the moral ground of a decision, first of all, you're making a presumption about what that correct moral ground is, which is a little bit pretentious because you're saying that your morals are everyone's morals, So that's one thing. And two, the assumption that everyone will get there, there are people to take a look at someone who simply doesn't have the mental facility, someone who's got severe brain damage, or someone who's got a mental illness and can't fathom right and wrong. They're still going to have a moral structure, things they believe, but it, it's possibly not going to be what you want it to be. I mean, I wrote a short story about a president with mental health issues and it was one of the most fun things I ever wrote. I think that was life. a French king, actually. Uh, well, there was one of those,
0: too. <laughs> or a French prince. I, I wrote uh, this one during
1: the time of our, our previous <laughs> glorious leader. Um, oh, my God. The, the character's name is Child actually... True history. Yeah, the, the, uh, the character's <laughs> name is actually Aiden, but I spelt it A-D-O-N, so it's A-Don. Um, mm. Just just to be a little bit on the nose there. But he's... Uh, a little. He's, he's literally got mental health issues that have driven him to be terrible things and he's having conversations with his voices in this like four page short story and it's just sort of this very stark contrast of someone with ultimate power who does not have and share your doesn't
0: even have power over himself essentially is a little concoction you made
1: he doesn't want it because listening to the voices is what actually gets this guy in the story to the office of potus like it's listening to these dark side these other voices okay so like
0: current politics the voices just happen to be outside of you briefly yeah Yeah. i'm just
1: gonna do what i'm told i'm gonna follow my orders and uh anybody else want to talk i ain't gonna call you yeah it's similar to that but yeah morality i think is subjective i think in your morality to you is not because you have a clearly defined idea of your well okay but okay all right so Sorry, but uh, you can't apply that to everybody else. That's yes, I can. Impersonal. But
0: that okay, so we went a completely different direction now. We um, did. Yeah, we did. Um, We've so I've never done I that s- before. I know, right? Yeah, never. I would say yes, we can. But something you you mentioned though, I, I think you said moral ground. That implies that there are base moral principles that are right, or at least uh, I'll use a shortcut here because it's not really what I think per se. There are moral principles that are more right than others. To and, each
1: person, yes.
0: Right. Well, so your 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 example of your your young adult who says I can't play on basketball because by the time I'm done I'll get you know roughed up by the local gangs or they'll eventually like mm-hmm. threaten me with joining up and 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 then he goes on to say I'll eventually become one of them. That's and again presumptuous, maybe, to say, I don't want to be a part of that, like, I don't want to be around that right now. But but then but I'll eventually be that's almost like giving up. That's almost like saying that's just how it's going to be eventually. That's not really sticking to your morals. If it's important to you right now to not be around that and not be a part of that, then that means you always have a choice down the road. Now, don't get me wrong. There are going to be potentially I'm not saying it. And for most people, it doesn't happen. For some people, there is a time where if you stick to your morals, you're dead. And you can see it with some of the Christian and Muslim executions that happen around the world. I mean, and, and to talk about the Christian churches, like in, I think it was in one of the African countries, it was just like, oh yeah, they just gunned down like 400 of these, these churchgoers because they said, no, sorry, we believe in God. But that happens in other places too. That happens to Muslims. That happens to, you know, I mean, you have the whole Sunnis and Shiites thing going on. Like that happens to people that stick to their morals. When you say that it's okay to steal because I'm supporting my family, yes, it is stealing. And maybe I'm a little bit unique as a philosophizer in this case, but to me, that's not a change of morals. That's not a that's not destroying any moral ground. There's an order, there's a hierarchy. And taking care of your family is higher than material possessions and not just of anybody, including yours too. Like if taking your if care of your family means leaving your house behind and running into the woods, you do that because that's your, your hierarchy. Yes. It's not good to steal from somebody, but if we're going to make up the, the proverbial ticking time bomb type scenario, which is in many ways, potentially unrealistic. If the only way to support your family is stealing then you're justified because you're doing the lesser of two evils. That's why ethics has all these different, you know, names for the moral dilemmas. You have the lesser of two evils and the quote, moral high ground and and all these things that go into these decisions. So you're not wrong because there is a greater good that has to be achieved in this in this proverbial scenario. My contention is that the real world is much more messy and you can very easily convince yourself that I have to take this lunch money that this kid left in his backpack unsecured when really, maybe, and no one wants to talk about it, your answer is that you should not be in school right now. You should be asking, do you want fries with that kind of thing to support your family? And that sucks. And we can get into all sorts of dovetail conversations about an infrastructure issue or a support issue or a poverty issue or, or socioeconomic or family structure or whatever else. In real world, it's probably some combination of things. It's never just like, oh, it's this one problem. It's always 30% this and 20% that and 5% this. And But I also will firmly believe that 50% of your whatever, your success, your life is you, at least. It's always 50, 51%. And I choked on a silver spoon a lot growing up. I will admit it. I had parents that have been and are together that, you know, had a strong moral and religious foundation that kept regular professional jobs and basically told me like, you can study what you want and do what you want and all that. I had a great upbringing, you know, when my like biggest freak out up to like the age of 20 was, oh my God, the cops are here. I got to run out of the house party at college. Otherwise my life will be ruined. Like that's that's a pretty good life. But just because you have a harder life doesn't mean that it changes what you have to do. What it does mean is you might have to work harder and you have more hurdles to overcome. And it's up to other people to make sure that we're there to help you. Because also as a Christian, you're not there to just preach the book and be like, well, I'm so good and holy and all that shit and fuck all y'all. You need to be out there making sure that when God puts someone in your path, you better fucking help them because that is your test. You can have everything in the world and you'll have nothing in heaven. So that's kind of my thing: is that you're you're a guy there that's saying, "Well, I'll be part of that someday." No, you don't have to. You might have to die to not be a part of that, but you always have a choice. When everyone says I don't have a choice, no, you always have a choice. I know you're thinking. I know you. I know you're coming up with the, the thing, and I assume it's something with wife or kids or whatever.
1: Nope, I uh, I wasn't going that route. I had two thoughts in my head. One is that that was well, well, articulate and, and well spoken. It was spoken like a really white, really privileged guy. Like
0: a really academic person.
1: Yeah, a really <laughs> privileged white guy.
0: I'll <laughs> lean into it, man. And, I, oh, and I I, and I, I used to be that. ashamed of it. I used to be ashamed of it, but you know what? It, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. It, will it's tell brought, you
1: should, but you shouldn't.
0: It's brought other problems. It's not hard problems per se but it's it's the kind of problems that you see nowadays like the same people that are saying a cab are people like me who have never really had real problems in their life for you to be able to say i don't need the cops that means you've never needed the cops so you want to talk about privilege
1: chicago right now is regretting their defund the police movement epic schedule they they just i think they just requested federal assistance no my other thought aside from wow he sounds like a real white guy Was that that's a very easy perspective to have um, from from where you do. And I love Mm -hmm. that you leaned into it Uh, from my perspective. You know, I I grew up kind of, you know, I I don't want to say kind of like the kid in my story because it was nothing like what he went through. But I grew up with a single mom who had a couple of kids and had to work a lot of hours. And we didn't have the basic money for anything my friends had. The town I grew up in was mostly a very sheltered town with uh, a lot of old money and a lot of wealthy kids. And I was the one kid in in my entire group of friends that was neither Italian nor wealthy. Um, I was the only kid who couldn't afford to go on the fun field trips when the kids. I thought
0: you were Gamachino or
1: whatever. Now, despite what the announcers (laughs) at the football games would have to believe, my last name is not Italian. But I grew up in a situation where most of my friends had a lot and I had very little despite my mom's best efforts. But my mom got married at 16. Uh, my dad was leaving for the military and they were in love and he was going to Greece and she wanted to go with him. So her parents signed off and let her get married at 16 before she even had a high school diploma. She was a world-class high school athlete. She would have walked onto any college she wanted to after high school. She still has records that have not been broken in her old high school uh, for track and field. And, uh, and instead she got married at 16 and took off with my dad and had a couple of kids and came back to the States and by the time I was five, had a divorce. So now she's a very young single mom. Uh, she had me when she was nineteen. So by the time she's twenty-four, she's got no high school diploma. She's got two kids to take care of, and she's on the east coast now. When she grew up on the west coast, so for her to kind of raise a couple of kids in that situation, she started off waitressing tables at a restaurant. And I remember her doing that. I remember going with her sometimes early, early in the morning, and sitting at the bar and reading Hardy Boys books and. the the best thing that happened for us was when foxwoods resort casino opened up in the late 80s no not even had to be mid 90s because they were willing to give good paying jobs to people to do things that didn't need diplomas And, and there weren't a lot of we didn't need degrees and my mom got a good job um she made what was decent money back then enough to raise the kids and pay the pay the rent usually but she was not a homeowner we didn't have a house that was ours what continued to happen down the road is we would fall behind on rent payments because there just wasn't quite enough money and eventually we would have to leave and find a new house and rent somewhere else we went through real financial struggle and uh you know i i, I wanted to go to notre dame and thought i was going to go to notre dame um i was one of the smart kids in my class I, I was i was one of those kids who was i was the best chess player in the school i was reading the hardest books i was writing things i was Great at math. I was a super people person. I was a chameleon who fit in with a bunch of different groups. I was a very smart kid who probably should have gone straight to college after high school, but we had distractions at home. We had distractions elsewhere. And instead, I didn't want, I couldn't afford college. There was just no way we could afford it as a family. And instead of taking all the student loan debts, I went in the army. I got a really, really good, highly technical job. There were only probably 60 or 70 people in the army across the entire army who did what I did. A year's worth of technical training later and then I got to go do my job and rack up some cool bullet points for a resume Uncle Sam paid for my college degrees I certainly couldn't have paid for them on my own but Uncle Sam got me a couple of degrees he uh helped me pay for my first condo and then my first house but we never owned a home we never had any means to build wealth we we struggled to pay rent and we struggled to to have things honestly most of the time my, my mom did her damn best I never left the house without a hot lump without a hot breakfast you know she would put lunch money in our pocket and and all that. But I literally made most of my lunch money throughout high school playing crazy eights for money with people or pitch for money with people during like a study hall. We would play 10 cents a card and five cents a card. And I would rack up money and and use that on lunch in middle school because we, we could afford to buy me like a book or two a month is what I remember growing up. We'd go to a bookstore like once a month or sometimes twice a month. And I get to buy a Hardy Boys book. You know, the library was my best friend for a long time, but I would love like the new Hardy Boys book. You would get a Hardy Boys book too. I love the Hardy Boys books. I love them. But you know, when book fairs came around, we didn't have money for me to buy books at book fairs. You know, the, the class takes the whole trip to go walk the book fair and everyone comes back with like three or four books. Some people come back with the stupid erasers and the pens and pencils and the stuff they're going to lose. And I, my mom, would she would give us the money for it if if we told her about it. But I knew we didn't have it because I'd come home later in the week and hear a voicemail from the landlord saying, you need to pay the rent. What are you doing? I'm going to have you kicked out. And so how am I going to ask my mom for money for a book fair or money for a school field trip or something if I'm hearing those messages on the voicemail, on the answering machine when I come home? So I had to have other ways to find money. And I gave things up. I I would often, when I was in middle school, I would take the $2 a day that I got to go buy hot lunch. And that was all it was back then. And I would save it for a week. And I would take that to the book fair and I would just go hungry during lunch. Because back in middle school, I wasn't playing cards for money. I wasn't hustling people. I wasn't doing those things. And I would save my lunch money so I could buy a Hardy Boys book. It's really I'm very fortunate to be where I am. The army was a great opportunity for me. And because I, I had a smoking score in the ASVAB and I happened to be a very smart kid, I got very lucky. And I didn't have to take some job that didn't translate into four professional choices down the road. My professional background is wide and varied, not because I couldn't just get some job and do it for 20 years, but because I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. And so for me, it was army and then college and then law enforcement and then public education and then a hiring and personnel manager for a startup company in Providence. I, I did it all. Like I was all over the place. And eventually, working, you know, running my own business, my own digital marketing agency, and leaning on my copywriting skills and and my editing skills, and then the marketing skills I had picked up working in a marketing agency for a while. Like eventually, I got there. And and now, God bless, I can't even talk about what I do now, half it's classified. But it's just where where I came from. Like the, the way you said, you know, you just have to work a little. You just have to work harder. And it's fifty percent you, fifty one percent. I agree with that. I think you can pull yourself up. And I've been told I'm a racist for using this term, but I think you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I still don't see how that's racist, but I think you can do it. But I've seen people who've come from similar backgrounds who have failed to make that transition, and I get why they failed. I, I really do. And I don't think it's as simple as it was for me for everybody had I not chosen to go in the Army. Had I not chosen to enlist, had I been like, screw it, I'll take on the college loan debt and I'm just going to go straight to school, my life would have been, I think, much harder in a lot of ways. And I don't yeah. think you would have gotten where I was. And that's the path we funnel most of our youth through. Like you have mm-hmm. to be a certain type of person to go straight to the military at 18. And that's not the direction we steer our kids. And I get why, like I understand the reasons why, but had I not done that, I certainly wouldn't be here today doing what we're doing tonight. Like I wouldn't have this luxury of sitting in a house. That's, you know, the mortgage is my name. It's still a mortgage. I don't own it yet, but it's mine, damn it. I've got three kids and I've got two relatively new cars and I've got clean clothes. And, you know, I can't afford to take my kids to Disney World on a whim. And a wife a that tolerates you. I don't know most why, of the time, I love her for it. Yep. No, my, my wife and I work hard for what we have. And, and both of us come from very different family dynamics where we didn't have much growing up. So you yes, you can pull yourself out of it, but it's not that simple because I've seen a lot of people who couldn't do it uh, especially having the background in law enforcement and and working as a teacher in a very poor community, there are people for whom self improvement is not the actual goal. There are people for whom the goal is simply to survive. So when you say yes, there's always a choice. Your choice might be to give in or to die. Like that is very reductionist. But that's
0: okay. So all as, right, as
1: as living organisms, we are programmed to not die. That is well, what yes, into okay.
0: Our I wasn't trying to. <sighs> I wasn't trying to say like, well, you can try or you're or you're dead. Like I was trying to say, that's not or, what you said. You said you can say try. If, or if you try, whatever, you'll die. you don't live. Whatever. Yeah, Who no, cares? no, that wasn't no what I was deal. saying. I, I should have qualified what I said more too. I'll, I think very safely go out on a limb and say no one can really truly understand or comprehend the ramifications of every choice they make, even with hindsight. Personally, if I got even half of the things that I wanted when I wanted them, I would not be here today. I would not be half as happy as I am right now. I am in a fantastic place because most of the time I did not get what I wanted. And I was not saying... You had to
1: settle for the BMW instead of the Benz? Is that is that what
0: No, no. I got a Subaru, baby. It's... <laughs> an ascent it's got 19 cup holders which I is love perfect my ascent. for me That's because what i
1: have i love that cup. you have an ascent yeah. oh my god it's it's like the minivan for dads it's like did a we just become best friends minivans. there's so oh, much room for did. activities <laughs> dude we need to stack our beds like bunk beds this is right. great there's blood everywhere <laughs> No, the Ascent no, is I mean, a great it, vehicle, a plug no, for Subaru is. right now. Oh my the Subaru god, Subaru Ascent! If you're a dad who doesn't want a minivan mm-hmm. but you want three Did rows the... of seating and you want and, to keep your, your
0: and you want to have five Cherry Coke zeros all at once in your yes. within reach,
1: and, and you want a, you want an SUV <laughs> that doesn't look like it's fast but is turbocharged and is secretly mm-hmm. fast as hell. Yeah, you want yeah. that Ascent? That car is the nuts. It's, it's, it's good. phenomenal.
0: Yeah. This the ascent I, I actually when I was working at Chase Bank, uh one of my buddies was super into cars. I'm not into cars. I'm a terrible male because I can do a good PBR you know, NBR NPR voice. PBR voice. And it's a
1: very different voice. <laughs>
0: right? Is it though? Is it? Oh, I think it is. I mean PBR voice is just NPR, but with the Wisconsin accent, like, oh, welcome to NPR. <laughs>
1: You got to slur it a little more, but I think you're on to something there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a real niche audience. Um, But to qualify what I was saying about the super serial topic, I wasn't saying that like you always have a choice and, you know, just make the right choice. God damn it. There's, there are so many factors that go into it. And especially being a father as a, as a philosophizer student in college, I was a firm believer of, uh, so, so Mino's paradox, since we're going to you know go the the nerd route here since we're not talking about the wildfires in maui mino's paradox is socrates sort of challenges to a battle of wits mino who's i can't remember exactly he's not exactly like a royal guard but he's like a a high-ranking military member who who's read some books and thinks he's going to challenge the the local smart man from the dregs socrates to to a battle of wits and the debate more or less, because Plato wrote it and he was Socrates's, you know, protege that he he paints it like Socrates won. But the debate is basically, do humans have innate knowledge that gets unlocked or are you a blank slate? and the the analogy they use is the farm boy who doesn't have any real schooling but when you find out he's working in the fields and all that stuff he has a very complex understanding of geometry and crop planning and organization and all that stuff and like this is the kind of stuff that usually comes from a high intellect high research kind of individual but it's you know your lowly crappy farm boy who doesn't know anything about any book anywhere and so the debate is does he know that because he's getting real world experience, or does he know that because every human has some sort of level of geometric knowledge, and it's just the experiences unlock it. And growing up, I was of the opinion that we all had some sort of innate knowledge. Like, we all actually understand physics, we just have to see it a couple of times, and then we like get it. And then I had kids. And I think we're all dumb shits the moment we're born, because my first daughter, she had to experience gravity, I think 300 times. Before she was like, maybe I shouldn't do that, and maybe that's just an expression of my daughter. I have no idea, Um, (laughs) but I I, I think it's it's the opposite now. So, but alternatively, it's sort of I've I've always kind of had the viewpoint of you always have a choice, even if it's not a good one, kind of thing. And and I I don't want to trivialize it because I I did just blatantly admit that I I had a very um, comparatively easy upbringing by a lot of people's standards, which again, it brings different challenges, if you will, but not the kind of challenges of, am I going to eat today? And and so to be fair, I haven't ever really had that choice in life. But Tom, you're kind of, to me, you're you're proof of my theory of that if you do make good choices, if you do try hard, you will make it. And then there are systems in other countries and other places in the world and other times in history where you would never make it because those are the other issues and we're at a time slash place where we're not a caste system we're not a untouchables versus touchables kind of thing where, where you really can just buy your merits or buy the color of your money come up and, and do what you do and that being said for some people it's exceedingly difficult and even that sort of trivializes it you have to make choices that feel impossible. I guess the original point I really wanted to start out with was nobody should have to make that decision. Really. You should not be anywhere under the age of 25 and ever have to make that decision for yourself. In your real ideal world, in your real utopia, kids should be kids and get to do what they do and explore what they want and try what they try. And yeah, you don't know what you're going to do, but that's fine by the time you've hit 30, 35, you have some experience and you go try something out and that's what you do. And most of the world doesn't even have the luxury of being able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because of who you were born to. And my college buddy, he decided that he didn't want to try to make a power play for his country. That's to me that that shows more flaws in that system. So while I've had, I would say, a, an easier path through some of my decisions, the point is that you can do it and it is going to suck. And you are allowed to be a little bit indignant because you never get anywhere on your own. Really? You have a mentor, parents, siblings, friends, friends. Even if you are, quote, a trailblazer, there's an infrastructure or financial backing or something that helped you get to where you were. I mean, even like a Lewis and Clark type where, you know, they're literally going through the proverbial wilderness. They had guides, Sacagawea, they had financial backing. And the people backing them were just looking for another feather in their cap. They weren't even looking for like anything truly noble. They were just like, hey, everybody, come see how good I look, kind of thing. And you never get to where you are on your own. You always have help. And I'm not even talking about any sort of like, celestial or heavenly or spiritual or whatever kind of help, whatever you believe in. So that's also another reason why I think you can do it. For some of us, it's going to be really freaking hard. and to use the Christian line, we all have our crosses to bear. Financially, you might be fine, but you might have some horrendous, horrible, moral, ethical, social crosses to bear, and and you never really know what someone's going through. I I don't want to put anyone's business out there, particularly my wife, but her parents came here without knowing a lick of English. Wow. Yeah. And they've learned a lot. They're really great people. They're really hardworking, like salt of the earth you know you want something done they they will literally throw you out of the way to go do it themselves kind of thing and so when i say that you can do it you really can and we all have our crosses to bear but you'll never get more than you can handle so that's really what i was saying was it's going to suck a lot probably but you can do it and you're going to be put in a position where if you just really truly try hard you will get somewhere, and you will make you will make something for yourself. It's when you decide that there's no hope, then it's a self fulfilling prophecy because there's no beauty and success without free will.
1: That's that's the core of the night. I like it.
0: Should oh, I say yeah. it in my NPR voice?
1: I think you probably, no, no, I think it was good in the normal voice, <laughs> I like that in your natural voice. That was all all Doug. No, no, I I agree, and and I think again, I think most of the time you can pull yourself up despite the situation, but I also think that you know I, I can't look at what i've done and use that as just because i did it everybody can that's one of the big lessons i've learned you know especially working with um with a client slash really good friend of mine over the last few years he's he's kind of forced me to take a look at some things differently and see things differently because of some of the things he's been involved in and one of the things i've learned is is to stop looking at things and saying hey i did this so you can too because that's not always necessarily true it's not always the same thing yeah you know, that was that's something i didn't want to believe, but I have come to believe it. And I, I, again, you know, go back to someone who who's born with a, a significant physical or mental impairment. They may not be able to achieve some things. They may not be able to improve their life beyond a certain point. For some people, that is unfortunately going to be the reality. And, you know, and there are obviously other more more subjective ones, but, but I didn't disagree with your point that, listen, it's on you. Like you're 50 or 51% able to make things better and get where you want to go. The part that I was actually disagreeing with was your, um, you know, you always have a choice. Um, it may be to die, but that's your choice. Like David Parker Ray suddenly wakes up in his living room and and you've got a choice. You can be you raped got, you by got my dealt- German Shepherd or you can be raped by my Pomeranian. Is that, yeah, you have a choice. But that's a tough choice. Do you really have a choice?
0: I mean, I mean, oh, sorry. Oh, you play the hand you're dealt. Well, I got dealt 2 7 off suit. <laughs> kind of thing it's it's
1: not that that can't win but um (laughs) but that was the part that i would disagree it's got to be at least
0: a 2-5 game and then you have to bluff and that's even harder if you haven't played poker before um so this is why marx the real marx not like fake nouveau marxism um this is why the real Karl marx said religion is the opium of the people because with each passing day i i really hope there's a heaven and a hell and your at least pseudo judeo christian god I, well qualifying part of me really hopes there isn't because i'm not confident that i'm like any sort of deserving for eternal salvation when you're like oh yeah you can have like the best dance party of your life forever with every with all your closest friends I, I don't think I deserve that by any stretch. I, I, I feel like if that's the bar, I'm a horrendously terrible person. But I mean, we know, uh, uh, let me let me back up. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm segmented here. If you're taking the pure religious Judeo-Christian kind of Christian viewpoint, we know that there are people who are not going to succeed morally, ethically, whatever else. Um, in the experimental case is Judas. Jesus says, it would be better if he had never been born. And you sit there and say, well, how can God let that happen? Well, because Judas made his own choices. And uh, speaking of Notre Dame, the guy that basically said, yeah, that's actually philosophically possible is Alvin Planiga. He wrote the Free Will Defense. And up until he wrote that philosophers generally couldn't reconcile free will and all loving God and existence of evil altogether. And he more or less convinced every philosopher on the planet to be like, okay, it's logically allowed to coexist, which if you know anything about the field of philosophy to get most philosophers to agree on something is like mind numbingly successful (laughs) because the, the whole point of being a philosopher is to not agree on shit. Just to start with a different premise. So for your people that maybe really have the toughest lot in life, I hope you get eternal salvation because you deserve it. Because you go through the toughest run here. And and there's lots of um in, in Catholicism they call them mystics, you know, or or doctors of the church is some of the, the phrases you'll hear. And and it's where the Beatitudes come from, like blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, all that. The idea behind that is your experience on earth is connected to your time in the afterlife. So if you suffer a lot on earth, you're essentially doing some of your time to get into heaven. And God knows that and God knows what you're going to do. So even though it's still up to you, if you have a shitty life, you're probably actually on the fast track to a pretty good spot in heaven if you continue to keep your angle in place. So again, going back to it, if all that's true, literally hallelujah. If it's not true, then yeah, opium of the people. And then you arrive at Pascal's wager. If there is a god, then then it's good to believe it, and if there's not, then believing in it doesn't hurt you anymore anyway. So that's another one of the backings behind my point is keep trying hard because if there is a god, you're going to get everything and more than you could possibly imagine. And If there isn't, then you're the same as everybody else. In a way, you at least have some consolation that you actually gave a shit.
1: We should probably have an episode basically going into, I don't want to say religion because that feels kind of capped. Yeah,
0: religions too. Yeah, but Uh, the
1: philosophy behind it maybe is something I I could tell. Well, there
0: is a philosophy of religion, yeah.
1: And I think we would have, I think that would be a subject on which we have a lot of
0: disagreement. I did a whole summer course about the characteristics of God and man. You want to get into some real minutiae? I read a 35-page essay about what it means to be omnipotent. And the guy who was I was meeting with every week or two around this, he was one of the editors of the book that I was reading from. And he goes, yeah, that essay was originally 52 pages, but we had him cut it down. That is the first uh, thing
1: I do with anything that I edit that's not a letter to the government. First thing you do is cut 20% of the copy. 20% yeah. gets cut. It bottom was amazing. Story, bottom line, it was so good though.
0: I, you know, I mean, they it, there was even an essay about is God perpetual or eternal, which is inside of time or outside of time, but still living forever. And it was just like I can't believe I'm reading like 25 pages about this thing. I didn't even realize there was that much to talk about, but it's amazing. It's so good. I have to go back and read it. That's fun stuff. All I like of stuff it. like that. I love yeah. philosophy, though. For yeah, people who good.
1: don't like philosophy, they're tuning out. Actually, they probably already tuned out. But people who don't like philosophy just don't get those of us that do. Like, I I just understand there's just. Well,
0: and that's the morality thing we're talking about earlier. It's, it's It's literally metaphysics. Is there a universal base reality of existence? Because if there is, then you can talk a whole lot about that and everything that means. And if there isn't, in a way, you can also talk a whole lot about what comes from that or in a way, what doesn't come from that because it starts to permeate everywhere. But yeah, are we going to talk about the Maui wildfires or is there something? We didn't even get to the Nazis yet, Tom. You know, it's another Cook's law that says the longer a conversation goes on, the more likely you are to talk about the Nazis. Interesting.
1: I've never heard that.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you just find some guy named Cook and just have him say something for you real quick. And then it becomes true. And if he won't do it, you find the other guy named Murphy and you just do that. And then there's a Murphy's law because there's like 18 Murphy's laws. So.
1: Did, I t- did I tell you about the tattoo I almost got to to skirt around Murphy's law? Did I ever tell you that story? I must have mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a shrine <laughs> to Murphy, so that Murphy would, right, like, Murphy, yeah. leave me the the frick alone. Yeah, we can take this part out and, and yeah, and post well, but because there was
0: no no keep it in because it's organic. Well, because the his for appraiser and realtor, there's another. I think it's another Murphy's law, and it's the one that says if you're uh. Maybe it's not Murphy's Law. I think it's one of like the fair housing exceptions where it's like, yes, you can be a racist if your property is like less than four units and you live in one of them or something (laughs) or like a second, you know, like you're allowed to only market to women because you're a woman and you're afraid of having like dude, you know, sketchy dudes around or something. And then you have the other layer of like for, for us here for licensed Ohioans, it's like, well... There is this federal law where you're allowed to advertise to certain demographics if you meet X, Y, and Z, but Ohio is more restrictive and doesn't recognize that. So just kidding. If you're in Ohio, you actually still can't do that and we'll still like fine you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's another Murphy's law. So that's usually what I think about. I'm all I'm all messed up. My time at Chase, when you hear ATM, it, it's, it's one of two things. It's automated teller machine or ass to mouth
1: that's pretty polarizing um, edit
0: that out it's well it's literally it's literally polarizing it's either end baby Speaking of atms yeah i guess
1: so <laughs> speaking of atms did you ever hear the story about dan saunders the australian who made himself a millionaire at the atm with the glitch did you ever hear that story
0: tell me because i i, I think i've heard of this where he he found across it really
1: yeah, he came across this glitch, like completely by accident, where he he found a time frame where the certain banks' ATMs were disconnected from their network so that they could update things and then software yep. they would have had to do to reboot. Yep. And so between like midnight and two a.m. or one and three a.m. something like that, the same time he was getting done with his bartending shit. The way it worked was he would put in his card and I guess his credit. His ATM card was linked to his bank accounts and his credit account. Like it was all the same. And he would try to transfer money from his credit into his savings or checking. And it would tell him transaction canceled, didn't work. He was like minus $2,000 in his account. So there's no money to transfer from. And he thought it would let him overdraw it further. So he goes ahead and tries it and it says transaction canceled and it spits his card out. He's like, well, that was a weird message. You didn't give him any details. So he puts it in and tries again. And once again, it doesn't seem to work but it spits out the money and so he tries it with 400 (laughs) and it works for 400 and he tries it for 800 and it works for 800 and he tries it for a thousand and he ends up going home that night with like two thousand dollars in his wallet when he was negative two thousand in his bank account to start the night right he wakes up the next morning thinking it was all some crazy dream but he's got two thousand dollars in his in his pocket so he goes online looks up his account and none of the transactions have gone through. And he's like, Right. Well, well, that's weird. So he goes back to work and he tries it again like two nights later and it works again. And he mm-hmm. gets like two thousand dollars again. And he uses it to buy beer for his friends and checks his transactions. And like two days later, he sees it finally hit his account. Like it was the, the first round of was hit his account. And he realizes, Oh, it's it's taking like four days for this to hit my account. I've got this like four or five day grace period and it gives me the money.
0: Do $10,000 and then close your account.
1: He starts going into six figures. What he learns is if he takes like five or $6,000, he's got four or five days before it hits him. So Mm -hmm. one of two things happens. He goes gambling and either wins the money back and then makes the deposit, has has the cash and he's good and doesn't need it. Or he just goes back to the ATM on the third day and pulls (laughs) twice as much. And so now, you know, he's negative negative twenty. He's 000. doing endless bankroll. He's, he's doing, doing literal endless, endless bankroll, bankroll gambling yes. the way, and, it's and the way in, it was meant to be done. He gets into <laughs> it where he's literally moving. He finds ways where he can transfer from one account to itself. And like the same <laughs> thing. Yeah, he finds all these loopholes that happen between like midnight and 3 a.m. And he winds up going to the big this big casino in Melbourne and he gets this this view of the strip and he's in this penthouse and he's moving six figures at a time. <laughs> he goes to some it kind of reminded me of your South African friend story from college, because there's this this quote from him where he's in a room with this woman and he's got just stacks of bills, and he's literally bankrolling all he's inviting his friends up to this casino and be like, Hey, come on up, and I'll just like give you $10,000 to go gamble. And he's just throwing his money around in this obscene way where this girl looks at him and she's sitting at his table. He hits, he's hitting on her and, and, and you know, she sits with him and she leans in and says, are you the wealthiest man in Australia? And mm-hmm. without missing a beat, he says, no, I'm like the seventh, just completely <laughs> makes this bullshit lineup, but he's got never ending cash. And so it looks like the he players going to play. Yeah. yeah. And he's living this dream. And, and literally he's, he's, pulled over a million dollars i mean he, he's made himself a millionaire he doesn't have much of it but he's got stacks of cash and he can always mm-hmm. just double the amount and transfer it without a problem yeah, and finally he has this too. moment where he feels bad he's like i have to come clean eventually he's gonna catch up to me they're gonna raid he's having nightmares about like the, the australian feds kicking in his door and dragging
0: i him was gonna say door. they were not that nice during COVID, So right.
1: like, yeah <laughs> so so he's having nightmares and finally he calls the bank and he's like hey listen this is oh, oh, the best part. Before he calls the bank to confess, tells his friends that he's been spoiling. Hey, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to turn it off. I'm, I'm going to turn myself in. If, if you want to come get a last handful of cash, let me know what you want. And I'll give you one more batch of cash before I'm done. And he's mm-hmm. giving his friends like $50,000, 80000 Like Here you go, just taking it and giving it to them. And then calls the bank and is like,
0: yeah. Um, JK <laughs> Yeah,
1: This is what I'm doing. I apologize. And the banker on the other line is like, uh, he, he, he goes off on it. Yeah, okay, dude. Yeah, he's, no, no, no. He he checks, he sees that there's some weird spikes, and he's like, uh, Mr. Saunders, this is now a police matter. Congratulations, you, you've completely fucked yourself. Like, the police are coming for you. We're handing this over to them. I, oh. they're, they're, there's not another word I had to say to you. He just hangs up on him. So now the guy is really terrified. He's like, well shit, the cops are coming. The guy wouldn't let me resolve it with him. Okay. I might as well just keep pulling cash until the cops get here, right?
0: Yeah. It
1: goes on for like a year. Cops never come looking for him. There's no right. word of a warrant. Like because the cops
0: are like, dude, this is your bank's problem.
1: Well, no, no, it's definitely <laughs> wire fraud. That is a hundred percent wire fraud. Well, but it's not, though. It's not. It's not wire fraud. You're not You're intentionally defrauding a wire transit transmitting system between your bank Well accounts. but it's okay and, and That's this like is the where the definition of wire
0: fraud. Well Bookie, okay, but I no but I don't I don't understand all the minutia that would happen in this legally but it's it's not wires cuz wires are different than any other transaction and again banking policy background I can I can explain this there's different regulations, at least in the U.S. There's Regulation CC, which is why you get a hundred or two hundred dollars available of that check you deposit every month. There's like Reg Z, which is I think the, something about the, the the electronic transfers and all that stuff. So wires are their own separate thing, even from ATM and other types of online transfers. They are different because wires have to go through you know an office of foreign office of foreign assets control screening and twenty seven other screenings and, and all that stuff. Even just a get to somewhere else in the U.S. So him sitting at an ATM, it's just the bank's system letting him do something he shouldn't do. So the only victim here is your bank, which is not really... uh, You're not going to get a lot of public support as a victim when you're the bank and you're, you're updating your systems that night when you have complete control over what your systems actually do. The reason he was getting away with it Uh, or at least I shouldn't say getting away with it, but the reason it was updating every four to five days was probably because the updates were coming from when they would come and restock the machine. Someone would actually come up and, and open up the machine and say, okay, there's X amount of cash in here. And that would reconcile what the system was actually doing. And it would eventually read who did what and it would get uploaded later. But it's the same as like a claim. You know, when you file something and they're like, they give you the instant credit, but then... What people don't realize is that when you file a claim on, like, say, an ATM transaction, some poor schmuck physically goes out there, opens the machine and says, okay, are they actually telling the truth? And if they're not telling the truth, they take it back out of your account and maybe overdraw you. But if they are telling the truth, then you don't know because your original credit is just there. So you've already been made whole, like, five days earlier. So what was really happening was it was self-correcting, from the guys like reconciling every every couple of weeks. and And what really happened was the bank should have had some sort of alert saying, "Hey, these like one to three ATMs keep getting like belligerently like effed up every every three nights. What's going on here? And no one did that. So if you're the police, you got bigger fish to fry, man. Like if the bank is not willing to like close a literal, like million dollar loophole in their systems, why are you going to go after some schmuck who's just like found it? And he's not, man, I wish like, that
1: was the case here. I wish that was true, but the you truth know? to the story is to why I didn't get him is even better. It's so much better. So, so to make a, a really long story relatively short, um, a year like a year goes by and they don't come for him. He goes on like Dateline, the equivalent of Dateline it might have actually been Dateline. He goes on like this nationally televised TV broadcast to tell his story and he tells everything. It's like 1.6 million dollars later. He tells his whole story to a live interview on a huge nationally televised program and is like, yeah, please haven't come for me. like I, I don't know why they won't come for me. I, I tried I tried talking to the bank. Dateline goes ahead and records it, gives a statement a couple of days later that, you know, such and such wanted to come do a a show with them. They heard his request. They don't know where he is. They never spoke with him. Um, Mm. They recommended when he tried to talk that he turned himself into the police and he refused. Like they come up with this really wild story, right? Yeah, because
0: they're probably government propaganda to your point.
1: He goes, (laughs) I don't understand. I don't understand why that is like what's going on. It turns out the bank never called the police. The bank didn't Uh, want to be embarrassed and let the public know about this. Oh, gee. Surprise. Right. So they never actually called the police. There was never a warrant after his arrest until he went to do this interview and Dateline (sighs) called the cops and shared the story with the police, who then took out warrants on him. He turns himself in, does one year, I think, for fraud and theft.
0: I mean, clearly the bank didn't have their shit together, though, so that's why they didn't call the police. They couldn't figure out their ass from a hole in the ground.
1: So he winds up doing a year for fraud and theft and is now like writing books and his life stories being turned into a movie and he's doing public appearances. Like it's, it's a fantastic story. I, I just, I love the story. I just came across it I like mean, a week ago and it's, it's, it's fantastic. Younger me would
0: have been like, Oh, what a dick hole. Like he found a loophole and he's not like, he's just taking advantage and older me now is like, you know what? That's a bank problem, bro. Like if you, if you find it, that's not your problem in a way i mean i actually agree with you i'm actually sure. with you on this one you you i mean I, I feel like there is maybe some sort of duty to be like hey guys just so you know the atm did this so i'm just trying to inform you but 3 days later if you're sitting at the atm again and you're like you know what did they fix this yet
1: so what you're saying <laughs> you <know? laughs> is that what you're saying is that your moral position on this is flexible
0: no it's not flexible but you're uh, morally speaking, you're not the bank. You don't have decision-making
1: power. you, but you are, are stealing money that does not belong to you from someone else.
0: You are obligated to inform of a potential discrepancy. Did you sign an agreement with the bank that said you will not try to game the ATM systems? I mean... I'm sure there's something that they could try to, you know, especially in the U.S. where you could try to twist and say something to the effect of, like, you won't deliberately overdraw your account and blah, 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 blah. But there are at least a fair amount of judges in the U.S. that would say, shortcut, actions speak louder than words. If your ATM lets you overdraw your account, I mean, what what's the customer supposed to think? I mean, you have. you Overdrawing have Overdrawing
1: an account is very different from what happens. Intentionally realized well, okay. He was doing.
0: But that's but that's my point. Like he he knew he was taking out money he didn't have, but the bank didn't. And the bank does have some liability for their own. How do I explain this cleanly? It's kind of hard to explain it. If the bank was was lending money to a unsavory character, bank employees, the bank itself can get pegged for things like willful blindness, criminal negligence, stuff like that. They and and that's not even that's not even like money that's not there. That's just oh you're helping out a criminal. So if you're the one who's the gatekeeper for lending out the money, some onus does have to fall on you for that. Because you know what if if you're careless with your money, who am I to charge the other guy? Like if if some Homeless dude walks up to you and says, hey, my right arm fell off. I need like $5,000 for surgery. And then you hand him $5,000 to his right hand. Like, am I really going to charge him? Like, you know,
1: that's yeah, but the crappy the bad,
0: analogy. But, but, but
1: that's a little bit of a weak analogy. That's not what's happening. I like, said this, crappy analogy. Yeah, but this is a really but, bad analogy. This is like the, the homeless. It is man. bad. I mean, but listen, loose lips, sink glass houses. Okay. That's that's how that works. Perfect. And
0: then eat stones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, but that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, if you're, if you don't set up your safeguards correctly, I mean, I'm not saying the guy's completely blameless, but you can't be careless with your money and then expect authorities to come and clean it up for you unless you're in the Senate.
1: But is, uh, is having a system that, that has weaknesses that you're not aware of. Is that the same thing as just being... But you're not,
0: but you really shouldn't be aware of that, okay? And this is, mm, I know from working in them, and, and again, maybe it's unfair because it, it turns out that Chase in particular actually has a lot of their stuff buttoned up pretty good compared to other banks, I think, from, from the little hearsay stories I've heard from other bank employees, but... You understand going into like ATM programming is a whole thing. There's people that work on the ATMs. There's I I was on a a group slash and then managing, helping manage a group that I don't want to say managing because I wasn't actually like the HR guy, but managing a group that supported the ATM guys that went out and physically opened these things up. And that's how I know all this stuff about when a claim gets filed, someone physically goes out there and finds the transaction and figures out what was put in, you know, this bin versus this bin kind of thing. And, The ATMs are part of nightly updates for every business day and they do reconcile certain things and then it does get sort of ordered or cataloged or whatever. And there's this whole, the reason they, they list the whole order of posting like first direct deposits and then ATM deposits, and then it's cash deposits and check deposits within ATM deposits because all these systems are saying, Hey, I got this, I got that. And the system goes, okay, thanks. And It goes all the way into like 6 or 7 a.m. like Eastern time, potentially, at certain certain things. But one of the things, at least that Chase did, was it always said, no matter what, this machine will not give out more than X dollars. And it doesn't matter if it's one account or 50 accounts or whatever. It just will not do it. Sorry about your luck. Come back at 7 a.m. And you can do that. It's very easy to do that. I mean, I... As someone who flunked out of computer science, that is super stupid, easy coding. So when you have stupid Australian bank, that's like, oh, yeah, sure. You can just withdraw like 100K. Like that's that's not a customer problem. That's a bank problem. And and that's not even like a stupid programmer who doesn't have any oversight problem. Like it's very easy for some executive to to be like, show me your code what's this mean like this th- this can be very easily resolved I feel like so I-, I don't think there should be any real fault on this guy because this this is this is banking 101. if you sit there and think for two seconds about oh I wonder if our ATMs will just keep spitting out money you can fix that in a night literally done
1: so, so two things to that point point. one, a lot of what he was doing toward the end when he transactions got bigger he wasn't actually pulling all the cash. He I was, hope he was
0: smart that he was like just stockpiling some in like reserves so that when he like told his story, he came back to like five hundred so grand somewhere. Too. Yeah, I really
1: hope so. He, what should, he was though. doing. Was, it sounds like he was pretty smart. He should have done that. Well, what he what he ended up doing was trans, just transferring. He didn't actually withdraw it. He would just you know get the, the cancel transaction error right. and then he would transfer hundred thousand dollars, and then he would walk into the bank the next day and make a cash withdrawal. Like Maybe
0: that's part of like that. the glitch—is that it was part it had to be a transfer, not right. an actual withdrawal. So it wasn't
1: all cash withdrawals. And then same thing, point, though. Well, right, but my other point yeah, is this: coding. at what point does your does your moral, do your moral grounding, or your moral stance, or whatever your morals happen, to, whatever you want to call your morals, at what point do they imply self responsibility for not doing something that is at its core wrong? At at the bottom end of the day, despite a loophole, he was taking advantage of an import, an imperfect system, and he was stealing money that did not belong to him. Essentially, by your logic, it's not morally wrong if I go out and find somebody who's stupid and I fool him into giving me money fraudulently, that's not wrong. If I go sell snake oil to somebody and they're dumb enough to believe it, that, that's morally okay.
0: So that's, that's every what So every supermodel cannot date someone 30 years older than they are?
1: Oh, I don't care. That's their business.
0: But like that's the point that someone that's loose with their money that that you know doesn't have the proper safeguards on it, or or the person that had you know the old person that suddenly gets a magical girlfriend Except, or boyfriend right. that Except shows up and starts asking for stuff. Except the usually
1: aware of that by this day and age. People are aware of that, and I think if that's happening, the other person is aware that that's what's happening, and they don't care. But that's, that's the a,
0: difference. Exactly. Think that's my point is that like the grandmother with dementia where some like 60 year old dude shows up and is just like hey baby what's going on kind of thing like that's where you're kind of unsavory but kind of <laughs> ugh, by, super unsavory by definition the bank is aware their employees clearly may not be but when you're a bank you're a corporation or an llc or whatever other non individual entity so by definition, you are your own legal person that does not die, does not get dementia, does not get anything else. So even though you're not a literal thinking human being, you are a, quote, aware, self-functioning entity. And, and, right. But they know, were never
1: aware... Of the discrepancy in the bank account Because by the time the system caught up He had done it again and fixed it So the numbers always looked But then he correct.
0: called and said what's going on And then they just yes. still didn't call So now at that at point, that point it's like, yes. Even if, I mean, and again Maybe this is just me taking my own justice Maybe why I would have been a, in some ways a bad cop Maybe, but if I had gotten this case With the bank reporting it Right after his phone call To me, and I shouldn't say cop I should say judge I would say Okay, you need to return whatever that was overdrawn kind of thing. But when any representative of the bank hears your story and it doesn't go further than that, it, that's a you problem, buddy. You've given okay. prop you've been given proper notice, so you're asking to be taken advantage of. Now, now I, I can make up a case where some s- executive or other banker in the branch knows about this guy's fraud and says, listen, thanks for reporting it to me. I won't say shit if I get 10%. Now you just have 2 people to fire, but it's still the bank's problem, it's still the bank's loss cuz cuz now your your bank representative is acting on behalf of the company, which is not, you know, an unwilling participant in a way legally. So sure. it's kind of like the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. There's things that are right and wrong whoa, whoa, whoa. and then there's you things that are illegal. You told but, me
1: that morality was not subjective, though. There's no letter of the law and spirit of law of morality. Okay, well, so you is know what? so is taking money that doesn't belong to you morally good or morally
0: bad? I didn't say that God wouldn't judge you. I just said <laughs> I just said that you shouldn't go to
1: jail for it. And and, and I agree. Once once you like, get to the point where the bank says, "Yeah, okay, I'm not reporting this," well, then I don't think you're legally culpable beyond and that. You know point. what? I agree Again. With God
0: never gives you more than you can handle, right? So if God says, Hey, you know what, I'll give you 100k, and you only have to give back 50 because reasons. I I mean, that's
1: God giving you that.
0: But if you need it and you're actually trying your your darndest, it, you'll get help. Because I mean, and so I mean, I, I do kind of have this wonder with this guy if like he was in a weird place and was just like, Here's your help. And his part was reporting. And then trying to make sure that his conscience was clear. And and once he does that, what more can you do in a way? I mean, if if, if something's sitting, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Like, if you know an ATM glitch and you've told them about the, the ATM glitch and then you've broadcasted nationally about the ATM glitch and it's still there. You know, I, cry me a river, man. Like, if you're the bank, just fucking go out of business or give this guy all your money at this point. I don't care.
1: Here, but what about the million he took before that? Before well, he came clean with his conscience, like it, I, I, I'm a very much a a leap in the net will appear kind of person. That's very me. That's that's very much my thing. And I do believe that there have been uh, some greater power has helped provide. For fine, okay. Mm-hmm. However, this guy did not need a million dollars. Then, then cop that answer to go get a hotel room in the most luxurious penthouse and the most richy rich casino. In all of Australia, it was probably six figures a day. It was probably needed away. for his character development. No, Tom. I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't okay. think it was. Lazy, I think this is our super privileged white guy here. Take it up for cop another, out answer. Uh, <laughs>
0: you. Talk about yourself. I'm going to talk about me. <laughs> um, lazy cop out answer is I'm glad I'm not God. Yes. When I was younger, I, I, I knew whether someone should be in hell or not, and now it's just like literally thank god i'm not making that choice because if i had to make that decision when i was younger i would not be in heaven i wouldn't i've done too much shit including swindling my wife into marrying me yep i'm gonna i'm gonna come the ship here i'm gonna talk about the the maui fires because i feel like there's something really weird going on with this and any light being shown upon it is probably a good thing just for anybody. If we convince one of our 57 listeners between your 36 and my 19 or whatever it is to research further and it it converts anybody into anything, it's probably a good thing. Um,
1: As much as I would love for you to do that. I just realized we've been talking for three hours. No,
0: it's only been like two and 45. Are you going to (laughs) do this to me right now?
1: I I am. um, Uh, As much as I want to hear. None of a biscuit. I also want to read he... a little bit and be more informed before we talk about it.
0: Okay, um, fair. I probably, I mean, and to be fair, I probably should too, because I have like five fact points.
1: It's way more than I have. Like, I know terrible fires happened. And I know that The Rock and Oprah are asking for money and giving relatively little in comparison to what they're asking for is what I've read. I, I don't know if true. But, okay,
0: so you like, know all but one extra thing. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's all I know. And I haven't researched any of it. And I don't just have extra stats for it. So I'd like to fact check myself. Um, no, that's fair. But let's talk about that's that fair. next time. Um, I've already made okay. one more serial killer reference than I meant to make tonight. Talked <laughs> about
0: Murphy's Law, which seems to happen every episode. There's like five million Murphy's Laws, though.
1: Uh, There's only one. There's only one, as far as I'm concerned. As far as most soldiers are concerned, Murphy's law is Murphy's law. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong, and that's yeah. But there's lots of those. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Maybe we can close out on a joke. You hear the joke about Toledo, right? Mm -mm. Ohio and Michigan fought a war over Toledo, and Ohio lost, so they had to get
1: Toledo. (laughs) It reminds me of a joke about uh, another president (laughs) joke. Um, (laughs) So uh, we we get a letter from russia and says dear america we have your president we've got him he's in our custody he's ours give us 500 million american dollars or we'll send him back to you uh that works for all presidents yep yep all right we should wrap this up but i do want to bitch about joe biden and the head of our leadership in this country well
0: and and okay we really and yeah so so listeners the maui wildfires are the closest thing we've had so far recently to a public representative getting lynched, I swear. Because they there was a news conference where someone was asked about missing kids and they were like, don't ask that. Basically, STFU, which will piss off anybody. But yeah, we really need to talk about that because Alzheimer's Biden was like no comment and then smirked going into the car. And you can't tell me you didn't hear the question, which he probably is not all there, but that you can't. You can't ignore something like that, well, essentially. Yes you
1: can if you believe in the oath to protect this nation and its people isn't binding. It's, it's much like how he handled the withdrawal from Afghanistan. The only difference between this and how he handled Afghanistan is that this is on our soil, and that means we can't turn a blind eye to it. I really do, because if you look at the press conferences after Afghanistan and you line up some of the stuff that's being critiqued here, it's very similar the way he responds or, or chooses not to. And yeah. I think that that I think that matters. I think that shows you he doesn't care about our military the way that he should. But again, different conversation, love a different time. And granted, I'm a little biased on that one. I, I lean a little bit on the military side of things. So yeah. all right. thanks for listening to Two Dads Talking, uh, even if we did ramble and not cover us. It's OK.
0: We, we lost five people. We gained seven.
1: Mm, we'll see.
0: Seven more Felicias.
1: I like your optimism. I do. Even if I find your moral ambiguity despite doubling down on its lack of subjectivity a little troubling i do like your optimism end it now recording ending
0: still recording nope. every time
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.